Good to see you all here. You all made it in. Not getting too wet, I trust. We are going to be in Acts 27. If you want to go ahead and grab a Bible and turn there, or your phone, your tablet, your gadget, however you want to get to God's Word. Uh, a couple things to announce before we get into the Bible this morning. Um, so first of all, I want to remind you that Community Groups is kicking off next weekend. Uh, and so for those of you who are in community group, you already probably are aware of that. It's on your calendar. If you're not involved in community groups or have no idea what that is, um, this is where we get together in a small group setting in homes uh, to get to know one another better, uh, to talk about God's word and how it applies to our life in like regular circumstances like parenting and marriage and work. And it's a great opportunity to allow God to work through others into your life and through you into, others li- into other lives as well. And so um, it can be a big risk if you're new here, like, what am I getting myself into? I encourage you to take that risk. Um, And you can simply fill out the community card in the seat back in front of you. Um, There's a spot there where you can um, check community groups, I believe. Yes, sign me up. Just make sure we have your name and phone number, email address, and we'll get you connected with a community group. Um, Also want to let you know that on the 27th of this month, two weeks from today, uh, we're going to be doing baptisms in our services. And so um, we, we do baptisms any Sunday that works with your schedule, but this particular Sunday, we're going to be doing several baptisms, and so I wanted to let you know that in case God has been speaking to you about baptism and maybe that next step to take in your relationship with Him. Um, you can simply let us know, again, filling out the community card uh, with your name and, and just circle, I'd like info on baptism, and somebody from our staff will get in touch with you and just set up a time to talk and hear about how God's speaking to you and help you discern uh, if now is the time or not. So I want to let you know those two things. All right, so we're ready to get started here in Acts 27. Uh, this has been uh, a pretty exciting one-year journey for us as a church. We've been going through the book of Acts. We started last September, and we'll be ending the end of August, and August is upon us. We've got just a couple of chapters left. Um, today, we're going to be picking up the story where Paul is in prison uh, in, he, in Caesarea, and he's being transferred to Rome, kind of the final stages of his journey, the final stages of his life here on earth. And, uh, and, and it actually goes from bad to worse, uh, as we're going to see today. Um, what I want to do is I want to just take a moment to catch you up to speed uh, where we are in the story of God's unstoppable church. So we've, we've kind of dubbed that subtitle for the book of Acts. Some people will call the book of Acts um, the Acts of the Apostles, but we started from the beginning saying, listen, this isn't primarily a story about people. This is a story about God. This is a story about what God is doing. And sometimes the church is flourishing, uh, the Christians are preaching the gospel, and thousands are becoming Christians on the same day, same setting. Other times, the gospel is being preached, and the crowd throws rocks back trying to kill the person who just preached, right? So there's a lot of up and down and ebb and flow in the story, but ultimately what God is saying is, this is what I am doing. Regardless of seasons of blessing, seasons of trial and hardship, Overall, I'm in control, and this is what I'm doing on earth. And the people we read about in the book of Acts are just participating with God in what he is already doing. And so we're going to pick up the story today. Paul is in prison there in Caesarea. He has appeared before King Agrippa and before the governor Festus. We saw this last week. Uh, And so they give him a chance to speak, and he just shares his testimony. He says, hey, you, you know my life, how before I became a Christian, I used to actually kill Christians I was like a terrorist against the church, and then on the road to Damascus, Jesus radically opened my eyes and saved me, and ever since then, I've been telling everybody about him. Well, the king is listening to Paul, and he says, Paul, are you trying to convince me to become a Christian, like in just a short amount of time? And Paul said, that's that's right, that's what I'm doing. 
Not just you, but anybody who hears me right now. That is my life mission, is to tell as many people about Christ's love that I can. And so the chapter ends, chapter 26 end, ends with a behind-the-scenes conversation between the governor, Festus, and the king, Agrippa. And basically it goes down like this. You know what, Festus? We could actually just let this guy go if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. He hasn't done anything wrong. Festus is like, I know. But he's appealed to Caesar, which was a Roman right, which meant the governor had to send Paul to Rome to appear before Caesar. And Festus is kind of frustrated because like, he doesn't know what to write on the transfer papers. He hasn't done anything wrong. And the king says, I know, we could just let this guy go if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So now we're going to pick it up in chapter 27. Festus is putting Paul with a couple of his comrades and a bunch of other prisoners on a boat, and they're setting sail for Rome in Italy. Now, this is the fall, which is it's coming up to a really treacherous time to be traveling by sea in the Mediterranean at this point, okay? Matter of fact, in mid-fall, there was a special day of worship called the Day of Atonement or the fast. And, and so there was a tradition among the sailors that we don't sail after the fast or after the Day of Atonement because the, the, the Mediterranean Sea becomes way too dangerous and unpredictable after that point and all throughout the winter. And so, but that's all right. These are prisoners, right? Expendable lives. So the governor rounds them all up, puts them on a ship, and they set sail. Well, as you might think, they begin to encounter some heavy northeastern winds. And so as they sail across the Mediterranean from east to west, they come underneath Crete to kind of get some protection from the winds, and they port there. Well, at this point in time, Paul comes to the captain and said, Hey, listen, you realize that um, we've, we've passed the day of the fast, the day of atonement. This is dangerous. Why don't we just port here, and let's just hold out here for the winter, and then in the spring we'll get back on a ship, and we'll finish our journey to Rome. So the captain says, hey, Paul, thank you for your advice. Um, I don't take advice from prisoners. We're going to continue on this journey. I've got a mission to take all you guys to Rome to stand before Caesar. And so uh, against Paul's judgment, the, the captain set sail. Now we're going to find that ourselves today in verse 18, setting down right in the middle of this incredibly dangerous storm. Matter of fact, Luke, who's writing this down, says, for 14 days and nights we didn't see the sun nor the stars. They're throwing everything they can off of the ship to make the ship light so it'll stay afloat, and they're in a really desperate situation. Verse 18 is where we'll pick this up. Verse 18, chapter 27. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest uh, lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now keep in mind, Luke is writing this, and he's, he's a Christian. He's a believer. He's writing this down. He's saying, listen, it got so crazy and chaotic out on the ocean, we had given up hope. Right? We had gotten to the point where we said, hey, we're goners here. Right? Just hold on for dear life. And what Luke wants us to understand is this is a really desperate situation for the crew. Now, in the midst of this best desperation is where Paul is going to stand up and say something profound. And this is what we're going to focus on today, starting in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, just a quick reminder, they haven't run out of food yet. That's just how much their adrenaline is pumping. For like two weeks, it's been nonstop, waves beating down. Is this going to be the wave that sinks us or not? And they hadn't eaten, okay? So they had not eaten. Since we have been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, 
you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. I'm going to stop here and look at a couple of things. First of all, let's look at the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate here. It almost seems like an I told you so moment at the beginning, right? You should listen to me. Now, if that's all that Paul had said, that's what it would have been. But if you continue reading what Paul is doing, he's trying to encourage them to take heart, right? That's come, that's come up twice. Like, men, take heart. Take courage. Take heart. Don't be afraid. So the theme is not a I told you so moment. This is a moment where Paul realizes Everybody on the ship is struck with fear, and God has encouraged his heart, and so he's working now to encourage their hearts. Now, I want us to pay attention to what what was said here. Paul is telling them to take courage or take heart, that none of them will lose their lives, but they're still going to lose the ship. And he, so, so ultimately, God wasn't coming to Paul and saying, hey, Paul, be courageous, take heart, because you're going to wake up tomorrow and the sun's going to be shining. And the birds are going to be singing. And you guys are just going to sail nice and easy all the way to Rome, enjoy some food, a little fishing, a little sunbathing. They still had a shipwreck to incur on some island as part of the plan, right? This is not Jesus saying, hey, things are going to get easy for you. Be encouraged. It's not at all what's going on. So when I read something like this, and we've been, in the last few weeks, we've been really honing in on Paul and asking this question, where does his courage come from? Where does his faith come from that he could stand in the midst of this storm? I mean, they hadn't seen the sun nor the stars in like two weeks. Everybody is just zapped and worn out and fatigued and starving and and feeling desperate. Where is this courage coming from for Paul? The answer to the question lies in a really simple phrase that we just read. I want you to back up with me once again. So in verse 22, he says, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, only the ship. So we're still going to be shipwrecked. And here's why. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God, now here it comes, to whom I belong and whom I worship. Now, what a strange thing to talk about in the midst of this chaos, life-threatening storm. Worship. I'm going to circle back around to that in just a moment. But I I like what he said first, to whom I belong. I really appreciate Aaron Wagner and the worship team reminding us of that today. It's not just our declaration that I belong to you. The Father says back to us, you belong to me, right? The Apostle Paul words it this way, I've been bought with a price. So when Paul, who we're reading about, thinks about Jesus dying on the cross for his sins, he realizes Jesus was taking his place and also was making a purchase with his blood. And Paul would say, listen, that sacrifice on the cross, that was Jesus paying for me. He purchased me. I belong to him. And so Paul makes this statement. Man, let me tell you about the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Now, does that seem like a strange thing to be on your mind here in the midst of the storm? It does to me. 
right? It does to me. And so when I asked this question of Paul, Paul, what was your understanding of worship that would cause you to think about worship when everything's falling apart? Because that's not the way I think about worship naturally. I think about worship, right, when things are going good, I'm excited about God, I get together with you all on Sunday, we sing songs about God, and that's our worship. So what in the world is Paul talking about in the midst of this storm when everything is falling apart saying, guys, I'm going to tell you about the God who I worship. Well, Paul lets us in on his understanding of worship in several places in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is one place in particular that I think helps us understand the way Paul understood worship. So for Paul, worship wasn't songs you sing. It wasn't an order of service when all the people get together. Listen to verse 1 of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Whoa, that's a little different. I didn't hear anything about cue the choir, right? Sing the song, stand with me, right? I didn't hear any like call to worship here. Paul says, you want to know what worship is to me? It's about laying your life down as a living sacrifice to Christ. That's worship. Now, I'm going to talk to you in just a minute about the way worship has evolved even in my own understanding from a worship leader to where I am today now as a pastor and a teacher of God's word. Um, Over 20 years ago is when I first began to follow God's prompting my life into ministry. And so for me, um, early on, I was drawn to the music part of a service. Like that's where God really worked in my heart in some big ways. And I found, I found God just speaking to me in the midst of songs we were singing. And I thought to myself as I sat out there, I want to do that. So I learned how to play a guitar. I learned a few chords, right? Put a few songs in the repertoire. And then I would take any gig that would come my way. Wednesday night for the students, perfect, I'll do that. Friday night outside on a trailer in the middle of a pasture, I'm in. And then by the time I had turned 20, I had landed this worship leading gig uh, for a college group. And by this time, I felt like I was getting pretty good at what I was doing. I had mastered, I'd felt like, the instrument, and I'd kind of come to the place where I was comfortable leading people and singing. And, uh, and so I was leading a fall semester at Weatherford College for the college group. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where God uses somebody like younger than you to say something you need to hear that just humbles you, like through your kids, or like if you're a teacher, through your students, or maybe through like if you're at work, through that brand new college kid that just got the job and all of a sudden knows it all. And in your heart, you don't want to hear what they have to say, but you know what they're saying is true. Well, I had one of those moments as this worship pastor, worship leader, leading this college group uh, and singing songs about God. And uh, there was this, this kid that, um, that had come on to play this, this big acoustic drum called the djembe. You beat it with your hands. Just fresh out of high school, he'd been recruited to play on the team, and, and really all I wanted out of this guy, I didn't really want him to talk, I didn't want him to help pick out songs, I didn't want to hear his philosophy on worship, I just wanted to play a funky beat, right, and just keep us going. And I'll never forget, um, after one of like our warm-up rehearsals, and we're getting ready uh, to, to, to get started and get going in our worship experience, uh, this young guy pulled me aside, which is you know, never a good time to pull the leader aside and start to criticize him. But, you know, anyway, so, uh, so he pulled me aside. He's like, hey, can I talk with you about 
um, what we're doing here? And like, well, well, sure, we can talk about this. And he's like, well, I just don't feel like, you know, we're really singing a whole lot of songs about, about Jesus. Like, I feel like we're just kind of putting on a concert. And like this first song, I don't even know why we're doing it. It doesn't even talk about God. And he basically just began to kind of tear apart all of my philosophy on worship. And, and, and I felt very criticized. So in my pride, I just began to justify what I was doing and explain to this poor young lad what he didn't understand about worship that I understood. But on the inside, something else was taking place. God was beginning to wrench my heart and flip my understanding of worship upside down. Just a few weeks later, I was listening to um, a guy by the name of Vodi Bauckham uh, preach at a passion conference, this big college gathering. And so Vodi Bauckham, in front of thousands of college students, he's going to preach. He opens his Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. Now, if you ever read the book of Isaiah, but it doesn't start well. Okay? It starts with God saying to his people, I'm tired of your worship. He says, it has become a stench to me. I can't continue to bear it. It's causing me to become weary. It's churning my stomach. That'll get your attention as a worship leader. Whoa, I don't ever want God to say that to me. And in chapter 29, verse 13 of Isaiah, God explains why. He says, here's why your worship churns my stomach. You draw near to me with your words, but your hearts are far from me. See, it wasn't about the songs that they sing, they sang or the sacrifices that they were offering to God. God was saying, I am not impressed. You got all the words down. You're singing so loud, and you're calling it worship. Your worship stinks, makes me nauseous, because your hearts are far from me. So shortly after that rebuke from that young little lad who was playing the djembe, by the way, that was Aaron Wagner. (laughs) Um, I went to the director of the ministry and said, I have to step down. I've got to radically rethink some things about what worship is and what God's called me to do. And I stepped down, and uh, and God called Aaron to take my place and begin leading uh, that following uh, semester, I believe. Right, Wag? Is that right? Some shortly after that. And God has just worked in his life in some amazing ways ever since. And so here today, he's leading worship, and I'm not, right? Um, but, but in the, those, those, those few months where God was wrestling with me, I totally had to recalibrate some things in what I understood about worship. Because I had learned that worship was a song you sing. It was about getting people to sing words with you. And I, now I go to Paul here in the midst of the storm. And I go, that's not what worship was to Paul. I read Isaiah, and I go, that's not what worship is to God. I've got to radically rethink what worship is. Through all my searching and wrestling, I came to a place where um, I I began to adapt this definition of worship. And it's not a perfect definition, okay? This is just what God did in my heart, and I would lay it before you as 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 an understanding of where Paul is in this moment. Here's how I would define worship. Worship is the posturing of your heart, in gratitude, trust, surrender, and affection towards God. Anything to do with the style of music, did it? Contemporary worship band, choir, piano, organ, acapella. Worship is a posture of your heart. That's why Paul, in the midst of the storm, is responding with worship. That's why God was so upset with the people in the book of Isaiah. Their hearts are not postured in trust and gratitude and surrender and affection towards God. Their words were honoring to God, but their hearts were far from him. And so what was it 
that God spoke to Paul in these really hard moments in his life that allowed him to respond in worship. We just saw an example in 27. I want to back up to 23 even. In chapter 23, we saw that after Paul had been beaten and he knew that they were after his life and he was under arrest, he has this intimate moment with Jesus and he hears Jesus speak to him. And this is in 23 verse 11. And here's what Paul hears. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified in the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Now, did the beginning sound familiar? Take courage. Isn't that what... God said to Paul on the ship and what Paul said to the people, take heart, take courage. So here Jesus is talking to Paul behind the scenes. He says, Paul, take courage. Why? Because things are going to get easier? Because this season is almost over? No. Take courage because I'm in control and I have a plan. That's what Jesus is saying to Paul. And that's the same thing we hear on the deck of the ship, isn't it? If we go back and revisit 27, listen. He says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Why? Because you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. Why? For I have faith in who? In God. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And oh, by the way, we still got to run this ship aground somewhere on some crazy island. Now, we know now, historically, it was the island of Malta. They made it as far as Malta before they ran the ship aground. But the point was, Paul, was, his heart was postured in trust, wasn't it? Affection towards God, surrendered towards God, saying, God, your plans are better than my plans. I would rather wake up tomorrow and the storm is gone. What you're telling me, God, is that we still have to wreck this ship and somehow make it onto some island, and that's part of your plan. And what Paul is saying, I trust your plans. I want your way. I don't trust the captain. He's a fool, right? I don't trust all these prisoners with me. I don't even trust myself. God, I trust your plan. Paul was no stranger to suffering. You may be familiar with uh, uh, 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 11, where he walks through all the things he had experienced in terms of suffering. Can I just walk through a few of those with you? Here's what Paul says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That was, we talked about a few weeks ago, he was beat with that cat of nine tails whip 39 times because they believed if he was hit 40 times, he would die. So they beat him to the brink of death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's interesting. The turmoil that Paul felt for the churches ranks in there with all this suffering. But if you read chapter 11, and then on into chapter 12 is where Paul talks about his weaknesses and how he boasts in his weaknesses and how through his weaknesses, Christ has actually strengthened him. This is where Paul talks about, I had this thorn in the flesh, and I pleaded with God, take it away from me, God. But instead of taking away, what did God do? He said to Paul, Paul, my grace 
is sufficient for you. It'll sustain you. My grace is all you need. And so Paul wraps up all this discussion about suffering and hardship and weakness in verse 10. He says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I remind you, all that we just read about Paul happened before Acts 27. He said he'd been shipwrecked three times. He still had a fourth shipwreck to endure. And Paul said what? I'm not going to complain when hardships come my way. I'm not going to run and hide. I'm going I'm to boast in my weakness, and I'm going to trust that you're doing something good in my life. Now, let's have an honest conversation here. For a lot of us, when we get miles down the road from the hardship, we look back and we're able to see what God was doing, right? We see it, we go, okay, this is what God was doing. And he was maturing me. He was causing me to be a better husband, a better dad, or whatever, a better friend, a better church member. Right? I see now what God was doing then. But that is vastly different from being in the midst of the storm and stopping and anchoring your heart somewhere and saying, I'm going to choose to worship you now. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how you're going to use it to shape me and change me and mature me, but I know you have a plan. That's where Paul is right now. His heart is postured in worship. Now, if worship is the posturing of our hearts in gratitude, trust, surrender, and affection towards God, we can worship God anywhere, anytime, in any circumstance. We don't need Jason Martin or Aaron Wagner or a team of people to get up on stage and call us to worship, right? Right? We can worship God in what seems like ordinary mundane moments, going for a jog, riding your bike down a trail, sipping Starbucks, visiting with somebody who you just met. Worship God, sharing the gospel, sharing your testimony with somebody at work, a family member. We can worship God anywhere in any circumstance, which includes then hardships. Now let's, let's talk through that, because I don't think, has anybody been shipwrecked in the last seven days? I missed it on the news. So that's not something most of us are dealing with, shipwrecks. Yet we all have walked through shipwrecks, right? Hardships and seasons of just hardness that would compare to what Paul's going through. So let's talk about a few of those. How about, um, how about that moment where you're sitting in your boss's office and he's letting you know that you're about to lose your job? Have you been there? That's a hard moment, isn't it? Do you know you can worship God in that moment by simply posturing your heart in trust and affection and surrender towards God? In that moment saying, God, I don't like what's happening here. I don't get it. It almost doesn't feel right, but I will trust in you. Right? Nobody's singing songs in that moment, right? Your boss is not up there directing you to sing. Nobody's singing a song, but yet your heart can worship in that moment and say, this is is pressing in. It's feeling really heavy right now, but I'm not going to run in fear. I'm going to posture myself in worship. How about those moments, parents, where you get to the end of your rope with your kiddos, whether they're three or they're 30, and their life is either going in a direction that you just you hate for them, or their behavior is just continuing to head down a road that you just wish you could stop, and you figured out you can do nothing to fix it or change it? You've been there? I mean, if you have a three-year-old, you've been there. And I would be one of them. If you have a 30-year-old, you've been there. You may be there right now. But rather than crumbling to my knees and and weeping and and blaming God, what if I instead fall to my knees in worship? 
I can still weep, right? God, it breaks my heart the decisions this child is making, but God, I'm going to trust in you. I can't fix them. I'm pretty convinced they can't fix themselves. I'm going to quit trying to manipulate the situation. I'm simply going to worship and trust in you. Some of you have been through some really hard moments in marriage, maybe even divorce or brink of divorce. How about that moment where your significant other sits down with you and says, you know what, I don't think we're going to make it. I've started looking at apartments. Right? You have a choice right then. Am I going to shrink back in fear? Am I going to run and hide? Or am I going to say, God, I don't understand this at all. I don't like it at all, but I'm going to posture my heart in worship. Nobody's singing this song, right? What are you saying? I trust you. Doctor's office. Doctor says, sit down, we need to talk. I've got the results back from your pathology and looks like you've got cancer. In that moment, you can make a choice how you respond to that. Are you going to respond in worship? Who wants to sing in that moment, right? But posturing your heart and saying what? God, I'm yours. The God to whom I belong, the God to whom I choose to worship. God, I trust you. You've got my affections. I believe you have my best interests in mind. Your plans are not my plans, but your plans are better than mine. I will trust in you. What a beautiful moment of worship. In every moment of your life, you can worship by posturing your heart, trust and surrender and affection towards God. Now, it's a pretty pretty bold move, isn't it? especially for control freaks like me. Things start getting chaotic. I want to start like limiting the damage, coming up with the plan on how we're going to recover and get this ship back on the road. I want to figure things out. If I'm in Paul's shoes, like I'm wanting to uh, throw the captain overboard and take over the ship and, and park in that bad boy. But, right, that's not what's happening here. Paul's saying, guys, take courage. Why, Paul? Is this about to get better? No, it's going to get worse. That's the good part. We're going to wreck this ship. We're going to run it aground. Everybody's going to live, okay? We're going to lose the ship, right? But everybody's going to live. How is that encouraging? Because God said it. God said it, right? I believe that God will do exactly what he said he was going to do. And let's not overlook that simple little word, some island. I mean, it's just like God to do that, right? Hey, trust me. I know you want all the answers. And you know what you're, you want to know what your next job's going to be. You want to, you want to know how we're going to figure this thing out and get it back on track. But God says, hey, trust me. That's what he said to Abraham, Genesis 12. Hey, Abraham, I, we're going on a journey. Perfect. Where are we going? To the land that I'm going to show you. <laughs> what am I going to tell my wife? You tell her that God spoke, and I've got you. I've got your family, and I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and that I'm trustworthy. That's what you tell her. And let's go. And Paul and the crew continued on. What happens from here is they listen to Paul. Uh, He encourages them to go eat. So, hey, I know this boat's rocking, going crazy. Let's go eat. Then let's throw all the excess overboard, including the lifeboat. That sounds like a good idea. The lifeboat. And then let's drop anchors to slow the ship down, and then let's just prepare. And Paul says, hey, those of you who can swim, all right, when the boat tumbles over and comes apart, you swim for it, and those of you who can't, grab a piece of lumber and hang on for dear life. This is how chapter 27 ends. And the whole crew, all 276 of them, wash up on shore in Malta alive on some island. Lost the ship, but not one person died. 
Worship happens in those moments where you say to yourself or to God, you know, your ways are not my ways. I don't like the way you're working this out, but I trust that your ways are better. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? Worship happens in those moments where you, you feel like you've lost everything and you still stand and say, God, you're enough. I don't know how I'm gonna feed my family. I don't know how I'm gonna recover from this. I don't know what's gonna happen, but you're enough. Worship happens in those moments when you're scared to death and you come before God and say, God, I am afraid, yet I will trust in you. Worship happens in those moments where you honestly come before God and say, God, I've got no idea why this is happening. I don't like it, but I'm thankful you're with me and I'm thankful you have a plan. I want to I land today by asking a, a few questions for you to think about, okay? Because I don't, I don't know everybody in the room, um, so I don't know where you are right now in your journey with God. Here's some questions I want you to think about. Have you come to that place in your life, in your journey, where you actually trust what God has planned for you? Now, before you say, yeah, that's me. I got the T-shirt and the bumper sticker and all that good stuff going on. Like, I want you to think about that. If all your plans come to a screeching halt tomorrow and all you have left is God saying, I'm with you and I've got you and I've got plans for you, right, would that be enough? Have you come to that place where you trust his plans for you? Do you trust God in the, in the, in the midst of uncertainty the same way you trust him in seasons of blessing? I think it's easy to trust God in seasons of blessing. Look, God is good. Things are going easy. And see, God's in control. Of course he is. <laughs> things are going your way. But what happens when things don't go your way? Is he still in control? Are you still eager to stand and sing that song? Right? Unstoppable God. Have you come to that place where you trust God in the moments of uncertainty the same way you trust him in seasons of blessing? Have you come to that place in your life where you see everything in your life, including the hard times, even suffering, as opportunities to worship? I want to let those questions land on us today, me included, all right? My prayer for today is that God would radically recalibrate our understanding of worship, and it would be so much bigger than the songs we sing. The songs that we sing, that's the exclamation point on the end of the sentence of worship. What you did from Monday through Saturday is worship, and then we get in here together just to celebrate that by singing this, these songs together. Maybe you've come through a season where you've been drawing near to God with your words, either in singing or just your God talk with other people, and you, and you just want to be honest say, you know what, my heart's been far from the Lord. The beautiful thing about God is this. He is here, he is ready, he, he, he wants you. He never gets to a place where he doesn't want you. Right? So he wasn't telling the nation of Israel, I'm done with you because your hearts are from, far from me. He's saying, wake up. I still want you. I'm still drawing you in. Come to me. And maybe you're at that place where you have never trusted in Christ for your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. It's what we call salvation in the church. It's what we call being saved. It's coming to a place in your journey where you're ready to do business with God, to get just real honest with him, to say, God, this is the mess I've made of my life. Right? Here's, this, here's the sins that I've committed. Here's where I've hurt people. Here's where I've pretended to be better than I was. God, here's the whole mess. So God, what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to give that to you. Right? I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross and through the grave. I'm going to trust in that and that alone. 
I'm going to hold on for dear life, God, uh, for better, for worse. I'm, I'm in this with you. Guide my life wherever you want to take me. Right? That's what it means to be saved. To come to that place where you say, you know what? I can't fix me. God, I need you to fix me. And that's where God is a loving father. We see this in the story of the prodigal son. He rushes out to meet us. He doesn't wait for you to get your stuff together or to come all the way back home. He rushes out to meet you. He throws his arms around you. He says, welcome home. But God, what a, the mess I've made out of stuff. Quit, quit talking. I already know about the mess. Welcome home. But, but I've done a lot of sinful stuff and I've really hurt a lot of people. I can heal that. Welcome home. And so I want to end the day with letting you know that if that's you, and you want to find out more about becoming a Christian, um, our prayer partners are going to be available during this next song at the back of the room, and they're back there ready for you. It's not awkward for us as a church or for them for people to stand up and move around the room during our worship time together through songs. I encourage you to go talk with somebody today. Maybe you want to stay seated while the band sings. You can do that, as always. If you want to stand with your hearts postured, ready to worship as a church, you can do that as well. Um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to, to head to the back, and uh, then we're going to respond. So let's do that. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you. God, thank you for this beautiful reminder today that, that, God, you're not after our songs. You're not after our money. You're not after all the things we can do for you, God. What you're after is our hearts. God, we just confess this morning that so many times what we call worship is more like just lip service. God, this morning we, we heed the warning in Isaiah where you say to your people, I don't want any more your words, I want your hearts. God, this morning we want to bring our hearts before you and posture ourselves and trust and surrender in affection towards you, God. I pray that our worship would be big today, whether we sing songs or not. And I pray that what we do in here in worship would transcend into Monday morning and the way we interact with our families and our coworkers would just continue this beautiful time of worship. So Father, meet with us now. We ask in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ.